0: If you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of Luke. As we <clears throat> enjoy getting to hear from our precious God who speaks to us through his word, we dive into his word in the book of Luke, chapter 17. For those of you who are guests with us, we've been in the book of Luke for a long time now, started in chapter 1, and now we find ourselves in chapter 17. And so we will be verses uh, today, verses 11 through 37, but we will also look at uh, passage 7 through 10, just as kind of an on-ramp into the text today. I'm just going to read um, two verses, though, to start us out, verses 18 and 19. So if you have a Bible, Luke 17, I'll read verses 18 and 19, but we'll be looking at all of 11 through 37. Luke 17, verses 18 and 19. I'm going to read the text, and then I'll pray. And in my prayer, I'll be praying for uh, our dear friends, the Cokers as well, those that we heard from earlier in the service. The passage begins like this. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner or Samaritan? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are beautiful beyond description. And really more marvelous than words could even give articulation to You're greater than our minds can conceive. You know deeper than the depths of the deepest parts of the ocean. You comfort in ways that no other person can comfort. You satisfy deeper than any thing that we could go after or prize. You are the living God and there is none like you. You declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is yet to come, and so you say, fear not, for I am with you, and be not discouraged, because I'm going to be your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you, God, for speaking those words over our fragile hearts. And it is a miracle of miracles that confounds the skeptic and excites saved, when my dear brother David says, 50 to 60 people have professed faith in Jesus Christ among a people group that 10 years ago did not have the Bible in their language. Five villages now have been overcome by the gospel. Churches have been planted in five different villages and people coming to faith over and over. Because not in any small part, because of the generosity of the dear people in this room and the faithfulness of our dear friends, David and Lorraine. But to you be all the glory for overcoming hard hearts, for saving and calling people to yourself. And we pray that you would protect them from the evil one, as I pray that you would protect us from the evil one in these moments. Strengthen all of our faith, for we are in Christ one family whether we are in China or whether we are here. And we are united by the blood of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we just plead that you would use your word to change all of us in this very moment right now. May we not leave the same. May we not casually treat this time. But, oh, God, would you transform us and give us hope where we're discouraged Give us energy where we feel weak and overcome our unbelief. Give us great faith in you. And most importantly, Father, deliver us from cold, indifferent hearts to hearts of love. Oh, God, help us to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Several years ago. We were on a journey of adoption. We have four children, have adopted uh, two, both from Ethiopia. And when we were on our journey to adopt our first child, her name is Mercy. We got that name from... Uh, Pilgrim's Progress book where Christian, the main character, uh, named his daughter Mercy. And so I was like, that's a great name. But the more we began to go on this journey of adoption, it began to be interesting how people began to characterize us as merciful. Oh, you're being good people. You're being really merciful. That's crazy kind of you. But honestly, before the Lord, that's just not how we experienced it. When we experienced going to Ethiopia for the first time, We land in this country, and it was just shocking. You would have high-rises with really expensive glass surrounding it and business individuals walking out in suits. And literally at the front door to this building would be a cow and some goats and some sheep running around and some literally lame individuals with missing limbs and some who haven't eaten laying all over the streets and on the sidewalks, you would have to step over them in order to walk from place to place. And there just began to be a significant shocking to the system when we were there. And I'll never forget, because in this city there were places where you would you were to bring your child and drop them off if you did not want them or could not care for them, and So these places of abandonment were regularly in the city. And I'll never forget going into this orphanage. When they placed my little girl into our arms. And the tears began to just flow. And how thankful we were. But it was in that moment that we were not aware of ourselves. It was in that moment that God began to unlock our hearts. To understand what is still a journey, but moment by moment, his adoption and mercy towards us. As we lived out this living drama, holding this child who was sick and who looked nothing like us, we began to experience a love and a thankfulness that words could not describe. As we began to embrace and to hold this child, there began to be a translation That the God of the universe would pick us up even though we looked nothing like him. He was completely holy and we were sin sick. And he embraced us by his remarkable, unfathomable, unbelievable love in our unworthiness. And he picks us up and he washes us clean. And he saves us and says, you are in my family and nothing is going to change that. And it was yesterday when we were doing our family devotions. We started Advent a little early because our season's a little crazy with some basketball and other stuff going on. So we knew we wouldn't be able to keep up with everything. So we just thought we'd capitalize when we could. So we had last night and we picked up our Advent book and we started reading. And as we read in that book, we read the passage in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 where it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son. This is Christmas. Born to a woman, a virgin, under the law in order to redeem, to set free, so that they might be adopted as children. He sent his only son so that you and I, the story of Christmas, he wrote himself into the storyline of history so that you and I might be known as redeemed, set free, ransomed, adopted children that will not be pulled out of his family by simple faith alone. It is mercy and amazing news that that is for anyone who would trust in Christ. And today... As we read this story, God allows the natural occurrences of his day to become an unfolding drama of how people experience the mercy of God. And these are the two things that I pray that we see today. When we begin to ask the question, how do we receive the mercy of God? We should see it not as a one moment in time, but as a journey. That the mercy of God comes to us not only once, but it's constantly coming to us, stirring affections, giving us longings and changing us one degree of glory to another until we see him face to face. So on this journey, we need to see, and God will teach us in this word today, how do we receive mercy? It's a journey from unworthy to love and then from love to longing. And then, of course, at the end, from longing to satisfied in him. But what we will see in this passage today is this journey of receiving his mercy is a journey from unworthy to love and then from love to longing. Why do I begin with the idea of unworthy? Because that's how Jesus wants us to read this story in verses 11 through 19. He wants us to read it through the lenses of unworthiness. Where do I get that? Let's read verses 7 to 10 together as kind of an on-ramp, okay? Verses 7 to 10 of chapter 17 read like this. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come into the field, from the field, come in at once and just relax, recline at table? Will he not rather say, basically, Okay, you did your job in the field, now come and do your job in the house. Prepare the supper for me, dress properly, serve me, and while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? The answer is no, because the servant was to do his job. So verse 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are And can you read the next two words with me? Unworthy servants. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Why does he tell us that story as he begins to lead into the next? Because he wants us to feel the weight of our unworthiness. You will never appreciate mercy and your heart will never be thankful until you understand your unworthiness. And every one of us know what unworthy is. <clears throat> you get it. You know unworthiness. Sadly, tragically, as the and in some ways, thankfully, the hashtag Me Too has been all over the news, and individuals who have been doing horrendous things behind closed doors, those things have come out into the light, and they have lost their jobs and reputations and other things. And we would say, well, they were unworthy for that job. And so it's just that they lost that job. That's a good thing. So you get unworthiness. On a lighter note, <clears throat> some of you have been watching college football. when your team Loses, if you had one that lost yesterday, and they aren't the victor, then you know that they're not worthy to be in the playoff championship, right? That's how it works. You didn't measure up. You fell short. We get unworthiness. It's not something that we need to understand. You get it. You see it all the time. But what is he saying we're unworthy for? It's not a game. It's not a job. What is he saying we are unworthy for? We are unworthy for the mercy of God. We're unworthy. And the question I want to ask is Are you unworthy? Do you genuinely believe you are unworthy? Because many times the way the narrative goes is Well, compared to them, I'm actually pretty good, or I'm not that bad, or I'm a pretty good person overall, so I don't deserve this hardship. I don't deserve this pain. It's how we begin to talk, and all of a sudden, we're not talking in terms of unworthy, but I am worthy. I deserve to be treated differently. You got to understand, when Jesus is addressing the, the, his disciples, they have been under the teaching of those called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the masters at explaining away their unworthiness and building a whole religion on their worthiness, right? They felt they were worthy because of their good performance and because they were better than their neighbor. And so they didn't think they were unworthy. So Jesus has to make sure You will never appreciate mercy until you know you're unworthy. And to the degree that you let those subtle lies coming in that says, no, I am worthy. Will be the degree that you lose sight of the awe and wonder that God is merciful to you. Now, don't hear me wrongly. Don't confuse worth with value. You are valuable. And we will hear about that as we talk about the cross later. But right now, you're unworthy. You're not fit. You do not deserve to receive mercy. And you might be like, jury's still out. I don't know if you're right. Well, I ask a question. Have you ever lied? Yes, you have. And if you say no, then you're a liar. Ha, gotcha. You lied. Have you ever loved things more than people? Have you ever got angry at somebody when they stood in the way of your spot on the couch? When you were at the dinner table and there was one more cookie or one more piece there and you really wanted it, have you ever gotten a little frustrated? I'm not saying I've ever that's ever happened to me or that's ever happened at our dinner table, but it probably has happened at yours. <laughs> have you ever loved things more than people? Yeah. Have you ever put yourself above someone else because Jesus says be like me in humility consider others more significant than yourself so as we put ourselves above others we're falling short this is not just do I adhere to a few rules this has to do with the affections of the heart we're all broken inside We are all sin sick. We are, every one of us, unworthy. Have you ever snapped in anger? Have you ever been so fraught with fear that you didn't do what you knew you needed to do? It characterizes every person on the planet. No one escapes the label. We are unworthy. Unworthy of his mercy. And it is with that appropriate weight that Jesus wants to show us a story of mercy. Remember, you will never appreciate mercy if you're not willing to say, I'm unworthy. So let's dive into the story. We are unworthy servants. And now he tells us in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. We didn't plan this, but did you hear? Like 9 to ten, eight 8 to 10 individuals in a leper colony in southern China were converted to faith in Jesus. And we get to read a story right here of a leper who was converted to faith in Jesus. It's just beautiful. I mean, like, words just leave me at how weighty this is. 2,000 some odd years ago, the king of the universe was walking around, saving people, delivering people, and he has left, sent his spirit, which he said is a better thing, and his spirit is running all over the world, changing lives day by day. It is just amazing. This is not just an old religion. This is a present Savior. And so there were ten lepers. And these lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now you've got to understand the lepers. Leprosy was a horrible disease. It was a disease that afflicted all the way down to the nervous system. You would lose feeling in your extremities. And then eventually you would begin to lose your extremities. People would lose arms. They would lose fingers and toes. It was a horrible disease. Not only that, but you were covered in extremely recognizable spots, which made you a social outcast. Lepers had to be in leper colonies. They had to be separate from the rest of the people. They could only hang out with other lepers. That's why there were 10 of them. Their disease left them in bondage to sickness. They were in bondage. This is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. They were in bondage and they needed help. And so what did they do in their desperation? They cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy. On us. Do you see? It's a physical, real example, a real story, a drama unfolding right here for us on what you do when you're spiritually in bondage. When you're paralyzed by the same sins over and over. When you're frustrated by the fact that you don't want to be angry, but you are. You don't want to be addicted, but you are. You want to have it together like that neighbor seems to, and let me tell you, they don't. But you want things to change, but they're not. And I just want to bring a sense of good news. And you might feel like that I've only brought bad news so far. So far, you're unworthy and you're in bondage. You won't know the beauty of the good news until you acknowledge your desperation. You're unworthy. You are enslaved by your sin. You are sin sick. And so Jesus gives us a living story right here to say, what do you do in those moments? What do you do when you're helpless? Those lepers could not fix themselves. They couldn't say spots go away. They couldn't take enough baths. They couldn't get anybody to let them back in. They were an outcast in every way, shape, or form. What do you do in your helplessness? You call out. You call out and you say, Jesus, have mercy on me. For I am helpless and I am in bondage. I am unworthy. And let's see how the story goes. The story goes like this. Verse 14, and when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest, which was customary for uh, Jews in that day to, to follow the Jewish law. And as they went, they were cleansed. But then one of them, and only one, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he praised God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face. At Jesus' feet. Giving thanks. He fell on his face. At Jesus' feet. Giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. This is just setting us up for the fact that the Jews will eventually reject the Savior. And that God will have a missionary journey. Not only to the Jews. But to those. To the ends of the earth. To the nations. That's who he sent his son for. However. Jesus answers in verse 17 and 18 and 19. He says this. Weren't there 10 of you? Weren't there 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except The foreigner, except the one that didn't have access to the Old Testament scriptures, except the one who didn't have in his historical upbringing and his ethnic journey, the deliverance of God over and over. Really, was it the one that had kind of no storyline of God's redeeming work? That was the one that came back? In verse 19, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And this is what is really striking. Because even though Jesus had mercy on these individuals, there, there becomes a differentiation between the mercy of physical deliverance and the mercy of salvation. Because all ten of them experienced the mercy of physical deliverance. But only one. The mercy of faith. You know why? Because our greatest struggle is not the fact that we experience disease or that people betray us and hurt us that there is war all around, that is not the greatest calamity and the greatest problem in our heart. The greatest problem is that our relationship with God has been fractured by our intentional rebellion against Him. The greatest problem of the universe is that we are not at peace with God by nature. We do not deserve His mercy. We are unworthy. We are liars. We trade other things for him. And here's what happened. Those individuals got strong bodies. They probably got social acceptance back. But God was no more than a deified vending machine. They put their quarter in, they said their petitions, and they got what they really wanted. And what they wanted was not God himself, but his gifts. They wanted what he could give them, not who he was. I was reading, a, listening to a preacher this week. His name is Zach Eswine. He's really been a gift to me. And he was talking about leaders in the church and how sometimes the plight of leaders And this is all kinds of leaders, uh, community group leaders, ministry team leaders, pastors, deacons, whatever, just leaders in the church. Whenever you're leading someone and choosing to lead people, that there is a temptation for you to pour out and not really receive. So we have problems in our world, and that is some people, they don't want to admit there's chinks in their armor, right? So they try to handle everything themselves and eventually that kind of heart will break because you can't do it. You were designed to be needy. Needy of God and needy of his people. But then sometimes that swings to the other way where, where the needs are only articulated and this is what needs to be heard by everyone. Needy people still need to love. Every member is a disciple. Every person needs to be someone who loves. And the difficulty with a leader, and this is the quote that I give you that Zach Eswine said, is that for many leaders, they love you because it's easy to consume you without having to love you. They can consume what you give them, good counsel, presence, a listening ear, some help in some way, but they don't have to love you. And this is exactly what is happening to Jesus in this moment. He is being consumed as a commodity, but he is not being loved as a person. And there was only one, only one who turned on that journey and said, I am unworthy and I was in bondage and I was unable to deliver myself. And so I give praise to God and I go back Because what I was really after was not just physical healing. I was after something so much deeper. And that's why Jesus says, rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith made you well. You're showing me that you love me, that you prize me. And friends... That speaks to the greatest problem is not deliverance from physical suffering. The greatest problem of the universe is how in the world can we get back in right relationship with God. Because the greatest love of our lives is Jesus. And I can just say before you, I love him. I love him more than any other relationship that I have ever experienced. He's precious to me. He has saved me from so much. He forgives me day in and day out. And I love him. And he says, you can only say that because I first loved you. So unworthy person in this room, unworthy person in this room, call out to Jesus. Admit the fact that you are helpless to fix all the mess that's going on in your life. Admit the fact you are unable to fix your shame and guilt. You are unable to satisfy your heart and everyone else is unable as well. And call out to him and say, Jesus, master, have mercy on me. And when he grips your heart, turn, embrace, praise. And say, I love you more than any gift that I could ever receive. Our greatest need and the deepest of all problems is broken fellowship with God. And do you understand? Because our fellowship and relationship with God is broken, it affects every other relationship. It affects our relationship with ourselves. That's why we struggle inside we don't know how to relate to ourselves. It breaks relationships around us. That's why we don't relate to each other well. That's why we're tempted to pervert worthiness. I've seen so many relationships break because deep down we say, I'm more worthy than they are because I would never do what they did. I'm more worthy. I've seen so many Job experiences break down because you genuinely believe you're more worthy of God's mercy than your coworker. You believe you're more worthy than someone who has less financial means than you. We are so tempted to pervert things because our relationship with God is broken. We twist everything around and we believe we're more worthy than we really are. And it breaks all kinds of relationships. It breaks every relationship. Relationship with others, relationship with ourselves, and relationship even with the world itself. That's why our sin doesn't only leave us in bondage, but it leaves us under condemnation because we have broken a relationship with God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 tells us what we need to be delivered from primarily. And it says this, You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, And to wait for his son from heaven. Did you catch that? Followers of Jesus are turning from sin, turning from idols to the living and true God, and they're waiting for what? A person. It's been said many times before, but if you have all kinds of deliverance, if you have all deliverance from suffering and you have every relationship you've ever wanted, but have not God, you're still suffering. That's not heaven. Heaven is beautiful because the sun is there. Because Jesus is there. And you get to be with him forever. That's what Christians are waiting for. They're waiting to be with the Son. That's what it says here. I'm waiting for the son from heaven who he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. That's what we need deliverance from. We need deliverance not just from enslavement but the condemnation that our sin deserves. We're guilty in every court. Unworthy. And we deserve his just wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love, by grace you have been saved. He gave His only Son as a ransom for your helplessness, that you might be reconciled to God, that you might have a right relationship with Him, and that's owing all to His mercy. And so friends, no wonder this leper is shouting out loud praises to God and giving thanks. What does it mean to give thanks? You can give thanks in two ways. You can say thanks because you enjoy what was given to you. Or you can say thanks with a genuine belief That you were not worthy to receive what you got. To the degree that you believe you're worthy, will be the degree that you love the gift over the giver. To the degree that you believe you are unworthy, the heart of thankfulness will ever expand. And that's why Paul is on a mission. In Colossians chapter 3, that the people of God would be a thankful people. Because when you know you're unworthy and you have been invaded by a merciful God, there is much to be thankful for no matter your circumstances. Your circumstances are going to be like your emotions and your feelings. They will go all over the place. But there is one thing that is consistent and it is the mercy of God for you. When you go from unworthy to love, when you go from I'm not worthy to now I love you, God, that is an act of God's mercy. And so just listen to Paul's mission in Colossians 3. Be ready to read. You're going to read out loud, okay? So follow along with me. You ready? Okay, preempted it. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And here's what you're going to read. And? That's right. Okay? He's not done. Keep going. So, church, that's what he said. You've been called into one body. Be thankful. Next. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. That's right. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's one thing to be thankful horizontally, but it's transformative to be thankful vertically. Keep going. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus through him. That's right. And Paul's not done. He goes in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and he says this. Don't be anxious about anything but in... Why me we just say that again? Just make sure it seeps down in. In... By prayer and supplication, in next two words, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What is Paul saying? He's saying you can be in the church and not be thankful. You can sit before the word of God and not be thankful. You can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and not be thankful. You can be doing whatever you do in your life and not be thankful. You can even be praying and not be thankful. So he says, be thankful. Don't forget. Why? Because the process of stopping to say, God, you are real. And I am unworthy. And anything I have is a mercy from your hand. And I thank you. I thank you that you've sustained my faith. I thank you that you have given me a spouse. I thank you that you've given me kids. I thank you that you've given creation. I'm thankful that you've given this church. How often do we come in and sit in these chairs and not be fully aware of the mercy in this room? When I talk to missionaries overseas, and they are on an island, not literally, sometimes literally, but they are by themselves, no believers around. And you can can be encouraged week in and week out to look around and to know that God is transforming lives, to be encouraged day by day, to hear the singing of others, to have the word go forth, to have somebody grab you by the hand and say, I care about you, to have physical arms that hold you. And yet it's possible to be a part of the body of Christ and not be thankful. And to have this, a letter from God to us, not a textbook to give us information that we need to consume, but a human, a person, the living God of the universe, fully God, fully man, speaking to us in his word and says, I love you and I want you. And that invitation is there every moment of every day. Oh, how thankful can we be? And when we sing songs and we sing the word you, Who's that? It's God. I thank you for saving me. I need you, Lord. I need you. Hallelujah to you. And yet it's possible to go through motion after motion and not be thankful. And I just want to stop. I just want to stop right now. And we've only probably got five to seven minutes left. But I want to take one of those for you to stop. And to answer this, finish the sentence. Oh God, I am unworthy. And I don't deserve anything that I have. And I am thankful to you for blank. What are you thankful for? Get out your phone. Email yourself. Put it on a note. Write it down right now. I don't care. But I'm literally going to stop looking at you. And I'm going to encourage you right now to be thankful to God as one who is unworthy. So that you love him for his mercy. Not just his gifts. So let's stop for a second. I'm going to pray, and then I'll continue. Father in heaven, may this begin a pattern that characterizes our meals, our fellowship, our alone time with you, our time together, and our time at work. Oh God, I am unworthy. And I love you. And I thank you. That you receive us just as we are. Imperfect messes though we be. And you shower us with mercy by simple faith alone. Father, I pray. If there are some right now that don't know the love of Jesus. Would you break open their hearts? And would you convince them of your beauty? And would you give them the courage to say. I'm unworthy, I'm helpless and I need you. Make us thankful, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And with the last little bit, the heart that moves from unworthy to experiencing the mercy that ignites the love in the heart from unworthy to love, also that love then leads to longing. It leads to longing. And you know what longing is, right? You know what longing is. Usually it happens with the words, I wish. I wish things were different. I wish I had more money. I wish my spouse would listen to me. I wish my children would obey. I wish I had a different job. I wish this person would be healed. I wish there would be peace in the world. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. It's longing. And Jesus says, those who love me will long for me. That's what's going to happen. And so let's see it here in verses 20 through 37 real quick. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You got to understand the context. The Pharisees were wanting to know the signs so that they would be really ready. They would be, look really spiritual when Jesus comes back, or they didn't believe it was Jesus. They just believed it was the Messiah. So they, were, they wanted to be look really ready, and he says, it's not going to be something that you'll be able to observe and say it's going to come on September the 24th, you know, twenty one or whatever. It, you're just not going to be able to do it. And so that's why he then turns to his disciples in verse 22 and says, the days are coming when you will desire, long for. That's where I get love goes to longing. When you will desire to see One of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. It means there's going to be a time when you're longing, and yet your longings are not satisfied. There'll be a time when suffering is in the world. There'll be a time when you are experiencing groanings and pains and longing for things to be different. But let those longings not lead to anger and frustration, but let them lead you to longing for me. That's what a believer is fighting for, that longing for Jesus. And so verse 23, he says, and they will say to you, look there or look here. He says, don't go out or follow those bozos. I added that. Because you see them all the time. Jesus will return X date. He says, it's not going to be Predictable. And so he reiterates it. He says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. What do we know about lightning? It's unexpected. Its path is unpredictable. And yet in a dark sky, it's unmistakable. That will be the coming of Jesus on the last day. You can't predict it. It will come at a time that you can't fully expect it. But it will be unmistakably clear when he comes. And on that day when he comes, he's going to come in the midst of a people. But it will be a people who have rejected him. See verse 25? But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is the good news unworthy people have been suffered for. There is one who was a substitute for the unworthy. Here's the good news, the silver lining. It's a declaration. This isn't just good advice. Hope you follow it. This is something that has happened that you should receive. It's good news. Jesus Christ, although you were unworthy, came and wrote himself into the storyline of history and was the worthy one in our place, suffered in our stead, was raised from the dead three days later to conquer sin, Satan, and death to promise that you can be delivered from your sin and have an eternity with him forever. The Christian hears that, turns from sin, and says, I love you, Jesus. Imperfect as I am, I love you and I need you to keep me loving you. And now I long to be with you face to face. But there will be some when Jesus comes back that don't love him but have rejected him. And here's the story the way it goes. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking. They were eating. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. What happened in the days of Noah? People acted as if God didn't exist. They just lived life. Eat, drink, be merry, get married. That's all life's about. And what happened was he saved those with faith in him and he destroyed those. By his just wrath, those that would not bow their knee to him. The same story applies with Lot, verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus is coming. For the follower of Jesus is the satisfaction of every longing of the human heart. But Jesus' coming for the one who rejects him is the just experience of his judgment and wrath. It has happened before in small part and it will happen completely when he comes again. So just because everybody might be living as they live pretending as if God doesn't exist, you want to be found on the right side of the story when he comes. You want to be found as imperfect as you are, trusting in him, even though you are helpless and unworthy. Because he says, verse 31, on that day, let the one who is in the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. He uses two images from that day to explain, stop longing for the things of this day and run after with all your heart, the living God of the universe. What was Lot's wife's problem? She was told to run away from Sodom and do not turn back. And when she did, longing for Sodom turned into a pillar of salt, judgment. And so, he's saying, long for me. I will satisfy all your longings by my amazing mercy. But don't be found on the wrong side of the judgment because it'll be too late once I come. That's what he says. Verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. That is, surrender to me, surrender to me. Because I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left. So being near to someone who is spiritual is not going to rescue you. And there will be two women working together. One will be taken and the other left. It doesn't matter that you work with Christians or that you know good people. Instead, verse 37, he said, and they said to him, well, where, Lord? Where, Lord? Where are you going to come back? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Honestly, that's just a weird way to end. (laughs) But it's Jesus, so I'm not going to call him weird. What does it mean? It's something that would have resonated with them. It is the place of judgment will be clear. One will be taken, and the other will be there, and judgment will be experienced. And so the petition is this, and he looks at every one of you with arms and eyes of love, and he says, you're unworthy, but you're not invaluable. You're unworthy, and you are helpless, and you cannot fix your problem." And to the degree that you keep trying will be the degree that you keep breaking inside. But you're valuable because I gave my only son for you. And I love you. And so he says, trust me. And long for that day when you will be with me face to face and all of your longings will be satisfied. Don't be found on the wrong side of that judgment day. Trust in me for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, I love you. And your response is, I love you, Jesus. And I thank you that even though I'm unworthy, you've shown me mercy. Let's pray.